Good evening, everyone. Thanks for taking the time uh, to join us tonight for this webinar. We are um, here today with Dr. Melissa Tabin, and she is going to be talking to us tonight about um, helping children with ADHD regulate their emotions. And so I know that this is a um, this is a topic that's near and dear to all of our hearts, and um, the struggle is real. You are in the right place. Um, we are here tonight with um, ADDA. Some people call it ADA. Some people call it ADDA, but the Attention Deficit Disorder Association Southern Region. Um, we are a group um, typically for parents um, of, of children that have ADHD. We have a lot of... Um, comorbidities that attend this webinar. We have um, families that may have someone that might be on the spectrum or any other number of, uh, of things. So you're in the right place. Um, ADA is, is really a, an organization that is just here to provide support for individuals impacted by ADHD. Um, we meet once a month. We've been meeting by Zoom uh, ever since COVID. We used to meet in person, um, but we're meeting by Zoom, and we typically meet uh, the last Tuesday of every month, and we do take July and August off. Um, people are vacationing and things like that. Um, this meeting tonight is being recorded, and you are going to get a copy of the slides. Um, so probably tomorrow you'll get a, an email with a link to the recording as well as a copy of the slides. So you don't have to write down everything that you hear tonight. Um, I always like to just do a little housekeeping items um, in the beginning. We are in webinar mode tonight, and what that means is that um, we can't see you or hear you, so sigh of relief for that. Um, and, but we do know you're there, and we would um, we want to hear your questions. If you have a question, probably somebody else does too, so um, we definitely invite you to put your questions in the chat box this evening. Um, we're going from 6.30 to 7.30, so if you're planning dinner or whatever you got to plan, we'll be done by 7.30. Um, I'll be monitoring the chat box um, for, for Dr. Tabin, and we'll, we'll answer as many questions as we can uh, during the time that we have. Um, and one other thing that I want to mention, um, this organization has been around since 1987, the Southern Region, um, and it was uh, started by Pam Esser, and it's, it was her heart. She started this organization because she wanted to provide help and support to families and didn't want it to be contingent on some sales pitch of joining. So you absolutely don't have to join to attend these meetings um, once a month. Um, but I always like to say, and I'm not, I'm, I'm a volunteer. I don't get paid by ADA or anything like that. But um, the ADA organization is really wonderful. They have chapters all, um, all throughout the state. Um, there are parent there are parent groups that we're one of the few parent groups, but, but there are other groups for adults uh, as well and support in that way. And um, if you choose to join, I think it's like $40 a year. It's super cheap. And um, they have annual conferences and great speakers that come from all across the country. So when you guys get the email, uh, they'll, there will be a membership application should you want to join and you'll have um, access to all the other groups and all the other um, information that comes out. Each month, we have a different speaker. We speak on different topics all surrounding ADHD. Sometimes we talk about meds. We talk about um, other other types of things or good ideas or hacks or things like that. We've, we've had um, meetings with um, 
you know, education specialists to talk about arts and 504s and things like that. So um, we're definitely a great resource uh, in that way. So having said that, um, we are going to go ahead and get started. And um, Dr. Tabin, we'd like to just turn it over to you. Thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Oh, my pleasure. So I won't go into a long bio, um, but just just to let you guys know, I have been working with children and adolescents diagnosed with ADHD before it was called ADHD back when it was still called ADD, either inattentive or hyperactive. So that's been since the early 90s. And during that time, I've gained a lot of experience with children who struggle with emotional dysregulation. I think at times, educators in particular, and sometimes parents, but mostly educators because they're not living with children with ADHD, don't realize how common emotional regulation challenges can be for children with ADHD. Um, I'm sure all of you know what the emotional regulation looks like and have experienced that it looks more intense when your child is tired or hungry. Um, and also I, I'm, I keep referencing ADHD, but just to let you know, I know at the beginning um, there was a mention that children parents with children with other diagnoses are on this uh, webinar possibly. This will, these strategies will work across diagnoses um, with regards to emotional regulation issues. So even though I'm saying ADHD, this is not unique to children with ADHD. Um, so what too much emotion looks like is meltdown, basically crying, screaming, whining, getting stuck. So either getting stuck in the emotion or getting stuck on an issue. I want to go to Target. I want to go to Target. We're not going to Target. I want to go to Target. I want to go to Target. And in sort of more extreme circumstances, there can be yelling, throwing things, hitting. Um, and a lot of times due to challenges with overwhelm combined with impulse control challenges, children will say things that they don't necessarily mean. I hate you, I wanna die, um, I wanna blow up this whole world, things like that. Um, so I think where I wanted to start was just sort of giving a little bit more information about why we need to focus, we wanna focus on emotional regulation with children with ADHD. Um, like I said before, I think people underestimate how common this can be. And I think sometimes even some children are misdiagnosed because the way their ADHD shows up is primarily oftentimes when others are most aware of it is when they are feeling overwhelmed emotionally. Um, and I think a lot of people, what happens is a lot of people forget that we know that one of the biggest pieces of the brain that's implicated with ADHD is the frontal lobe. And I think we forget that the frontal lobe is actually sort of the control system for our emotions. Therefore, if that's not working efficiently, then what happens is Fear response is triggered and naturally our physiology changes as well as our thoughts and feelings change and they can get extremely 
big extremely quickly. Um, one of the things that we talk a lot about in my office is big feelings. Um, the other thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is that because the executive part of the brain is the most advanced part of the brain, what happens for these kiddos is a lot of times, especially if either their meds have worn off or they're not able to take meds for whatever reason, they're using more primitive parts of their brain to compensate for the executive. And as a result, they're pretty tired, um, especially as the day wears on or at the end of the day. I'm sure um, many of you have noticed that your children can kind of hold it together at school in the morning. And then as the day wears on, sometimes things get a lot more challenging. Um, and we know that one of the primary challenges for children with ADHD is processing information and attending to details. So as they get more tired, their ability to tend, attend to important details like facial expressions, like, oh, the teacher said stand over there, not over there, um, all that stuff gets increasingly more difficult. Therefore, once again, by the end of the day, by the time they get home, after a long day, they're pretty wiped out and extremely prone to some kind of emotional meltdown. Another thing that can be really overwhelming for children with ADHD is getting started. Um, a lot of times in my practice, I will, I will hear people say, I think my child is lazy. And what I try to explain is they're not lazy. It's just that they need a lot more sort of a bigger push in order to get started and get going. Um, and what I notice a lot of times with these children is speaking of that sort of fear response and that increased emotionality is you'll notice if you, well, after they've calmed down, if you ask them what they were thinking before they got upset and before they started, oftentimes their thoughts are in concert with that fear response. For example, I didn't want to do my homework because I thought it was going to take forever. I didn't want to do my homework because I knew it was impossible and I was never going to be able to do it. Um, and that's helpful information because when they're calm, that's when we can go back and help them revisit those thoughts. And also, of course, I'm sure as you all have learned, help them break things down um, to make tasks less overwhelming and to help feel easier for them to get started. Um, and I already sort of talked about missing information and social interactions um, and how that can impact children. So how do we help them? I'm sure you all have found that if you've met one child with ADHD, you've met one child with ADHD. They're all different. Um, some children, need more stimulation to calm their bodies down. So a hug, sort of sitting with them. I know for some children, just having a parent in the room, there's this new thing out there. I don't know if y'all have heard about it. It's called body doubling. And it's basically where you're engaging in work at the same time as them. So any issues related to being isolated, being, it being unfair that they're the only ones that have to work, um, kind of 
having someone who is in the room, who is doing work alongside them, kind of helps them feel better. Um, and then other children, when they're, especially when they're emotionally overwhelmed, um, will get more overwhelmed if you talk to them. And I'm sure you all have um, encountered that where the child is upset and the more talking, the more upset and the more overwhelmed they get. Some of the strategies that I have found helpful, and I would love it if people want to add some things to the chat just to share things that we may not know about that have helped your children are um, having a cool down spot. It can be, I have some families that have it super elaborate. There's like, you know, set up fidgets. There's um, a poster that talks about, you know, breathing strategies. I also like to always include some kind of something either in the child's room or in the calm down spot about growth mindset. And if you're not familiar with growth mindset, you can just go on to Etsy or to Amazon and just put growth mindset poster. And it's all about helping the child look at things from a more optimistic place and also sort of empowering them with the language that is going to help them see, I can persist. This is hard and I can do it. Um, a lot of times the calm down space can be like a little tent in the room, or it could be like even a little space in a closet. It's just a place that feels safe and comfortable that they know is not a punishment, but it's just a place for them to gather themselves. Um, and then when setting that up, you also wanna make sure that any curious siblings understand that, you know, please stay away. This is their time. Um, some children calm down better with, I mean, everybody has different modalities, right? For some children, it's that touch, it's that hug, it's that um, weighted blanket, it's the little, I'm sure you guys have seen the little massagers that all the OTs use. Um, for other kids, um, it's touch, it's the fidgets, it's the, um, what do they call that? The modeling, the putty stuff. Um, and for some, it's smell. Um, some children in that space, they need a certain smell to help them calm down. Um, there's no sort of formula to it, but I have created a link, which I hope um, you guys will have access to that is basically a how-to for setting up your calm down space. Um, that's that last one. So Dr. Tabin, I just wanted to comment on that. My, my um, one of my kids with ADHD is, is older now, um, crossed over into adulthood. And one thing I wanted to say from a parent perspective, you were talking about siblings, like the safe space. It's important that we make this um, space safe for them from us too. Um, from, from the perspective of like, you know, there's always a million things that still need to be done. Like maybe they needed to take a bath. Maybe they haven't brushed their teeth. Maybe they haven't finish their homework. Like there's this long list of things that as a parent, you kind of have that in your mind. And one thing that I personally had to learn as a parent is, is that cool down is so critically important um, of letting them breathe, letting them calm down. You don't have to have the last word and everything goes much better if we let them calm down. So it's not following them into their safe 
space, even when you're annoyed when they're walking away from you when they shouldn't be, because you might be having a difficult conversation with them <laughs> and they're walking away to their safe space. Can you talk to us a, a, about that? Because I, I know for at, at my house, that was, you know, that was for real. And I had to be, I had to be real with myself and be very intentional not to do that, not to violate that safe space, even as a parent. Yeah, and I think, you know, it is easier with an older child because they're able to articulate what they need. Um, and you're right. <laughs> you can try to push them through and, you know, not give them the time and the space, but it's it's going to come out on the back end. So if they're if they're going to bed 10 minutes later, but they're doing it smoothly and calmly, it's going to, it's, oh, okay. Oh, I just, okay. I just got, I just saw a, Let's do, somebody just put a good uh, comment in there. So I'm going to do that afterward. So you're right. So, and what happens is over time, you get to know your own child. So you know that like, okay, if we catch it right here and we go ahead, because the other thing too, is you got to set it up, right? Especially with an older child, because if they're too ramped up, it's going to be much better for them to initiate going to the space than you. Because when you do it, it's going to be heard as, shame on you or redirecting you or you misbehave or I'm trying to take control. So you definitely want to try to set it up ahead of time. Some kids just need a signal. Some kids want to tell you when they need to go. Um, but also you want to have some kind of system set up ahead of time where you have a, you understand what the communication is going to look like once they're calmed down and once they're ready to come out of their calm down spot. Um, Do you mind going to that? Someone else asked a good question. Um, yes, it says, can you walk us through a scenario where there is continued strong resistance to shower or brushing teeth or how, how do we work through this, you know, when they're digging their heels on in on an issue, whatever that issue might be. Can you walk us through some of that? Okay, so um I'm going to sort of do a preface because we're going to really get into the nuts and bolts of this. For all of you who are, who are patient enough to hang on, you're going to get a blueprint that is going to really empower you quite a bit as parents. Um, so I'm going to just preface that, the strategy part that I'm going to be teaching at the end by saying everything that they're experiencing is about control, which you know. So what I will be presenting is I will pre be presenting a strategy where they have some degree of control, but ultimately the limits that are established are yours. And most beautifully, there's no power struggle. So Allison, will you remind me of that when I get to the, um, the method that I'm going to teach? Because I'll use sure. that example when I teach the method. Perfect. Thank you. Uh-huh. Okay. So sometimes we know, okay, you know, child is hungry, we're supposed to go to the restaurant, you know, or oh, had a late baseball game last night. We gotta take it slowly. Um so we're going to be prepared to try to be as calm as we can, because we know the more upset and overwhelmed we get, the more likely they're going to be to respond to that. Um, the one thing that um, 
there's a couple things that could be helpful. And it also depends on the age of the child. There are quick and easy just sort of games that are especially helpful in the car because as we know, all you have to do is put a couple siblings, ADHD or not, in a car for more than 10 minutes and there's gonna be some kind of, he touched me, she's sitting in my seat, whatever. Um, and one of, the, one of the ones I like is the choices game. It's super engaging. I've had kids in the middle of a meltdown in my office and we do the game and all of a sudden they're just in the game and they're forgetting like, um, and basically all it is is you just put out choices, peanut butter, jelly, and they decide peanut butter, jelly. summer, winter, uh, unicorns, flowers, um, blue, purple, whatever it is, they love it. Even older kids will do it. Um, you know, you might make it a little bit more specific to them, like TikTok, Instagram, whatever it is. But um, it's a quick, easy way to kind of help the brain shift gears um, and get out of that emotional place and into a more um, relaxed place. Some kids, um, another fun one is, okay, I'm going to say a color and I want you to, I want you all to name every thing you see out the window that, that has that color in it. Um, another one that's a little bit more sophisticated maybe for older kids is how many four letter words can you think of that start with the letter T? Um, and then for some kids, it's really just um, talking about a pleasant experience or telling a pleasant story. One of the ways that I have used in my practice for years is when children are really emotional in session, really upset in session. And um, I used to do sessions at private schools and I didn't want them to go back to class upset. What I would do is I would ask them, tell me a funny story about your little sister or about your pet. And always that would get a ramp down. Um, the other thing that I'm gonna go into more in depth in a minute that is always helpful um, is validating. Validate the emotion. I see you're overwhelmed. I see you're upset. A lot of times we want to sort of problem solve. And when we validate the emotion, what happens is the emotion goes from up here to down here because the child feels seen, heard, and understood. And it's much easier than to go into the negotiation of it's really time to get in the shower and that kind of thing. Um, validation, it, it's magic. Um, if we have time, I'll tell you guys, I'll write myself a note and tell you a funny story about validation um, if we have time. Okay, I'm ready. Um, can you just talk to us about validation um, just for a second? Um, mm -hmm. You know, because sometimes as parents, it's pretty hard to validate a ridiculous behavior. So, you know, I think a lot of parents struggle with the validation on that side, uh, on that side of the house. So can you talk uh, or just give us a little verbal example of validation? So the child's having a big, big, big meltdown. And so how do we, val we validate the big feeling, not the meltdown, right? Exactly, because feelings are never wrong. There's no good or bad feelings. There are some that are uncomfortable, but your child's feelings are never wrong. When your child hears from you, you have every right to feel angry or upset. That's gold because they feel seen, heard, and understood. And also what's likely to happen is they're likely to take away 
when they're not with you, I'm feeling really angry and it's okay. This is a hard thing. I'm allowed to feel angry because the tendency I think for these kids is to judge themselves and to give themselves a hard time for being upset. And that just makes it worse. Um, so absolutely, you're not validating the behavior, especially if they're punching you, um, but you're validating the emotion. Um, because the idea is once you do that, they feel seen, heard, or understood, and they don't need to ramp it up to get your attention. So for example, I, I, I see that you're really upset right now, or I heard um, that what happened at school today was really upsetting to you. So those are like words of validation. That would be an example? Absolutely. Absolutely. I see this is really feeling frustrating for you. I see you're feeling really overwhelmed. I see you're feeling really upset. Um, works not just for, for kids, but can work magic for grownups too. I teach a lot of um, parents how to do that with each other as well. Um, so that's actually the first part of the strategy. This is a limit setting strategy that, I, that I'm going to teach you all. It is fabulous. I have taught it for a long time, but I've also used it with my own children. Um, I have one child who, very good student, um, very conscientious. If she didn't do well on a test, we weren't allowed to look at her because in the car because she knew we were looking at her thinking, oh my gosh, you didn't do good on the test. And then I have my little one who failed her first grammar test in second grade. And she was always about the fun and the party and the socializing. And, and so my husband and I said to ourselves, you know, we really um, got to be careful with this one and be really firm with her from the get-go so that she'll take school seriously going forward. So we, we bring her into the office and we say, you know, Alexa, um, you failed your first grammar test this season, since the beginning of second grade. And she's in second grade and she's a, she's an April birthday. So she's young. And she looks at us and she says, do you think my college is going to know or care? So this strategy was used with her from age, around age two, all the way up through age 16 and a half. Um, so I'm telling you, it works. It's fabulous. It takes you out of the power struggle and um, it just makes things so much easier. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna acknowledge the feeling, communicate the limit and target acceptable alternatives. So I see you're feeling really overwhelmed about getting in the bath. At night, we have to get in the bath. If you choose to get in the bath, you choose to get an extra story. If you choose not to get in the bath, you choose not to have an extra story. You decide it's up to you. The hardest part of this method is finding a motivator that is motivating for your child. Um, after you do that, your goal, because everything belongs to you. The iPad is yours. The cars, the car to take them to the birthday party, that's yours. Um, the TV, that's yours. So if you choose to get in the bath, you're choosing to use your iPad tomorrow. If you choose not to, you're choosing not to have it tomorrow. And what you'll, what you'll hear me saying is that the child is making the choice. So I'm not, I'm not being authoritarian and I'm not saying, if you don't get in the bath, I'm gonna take this away because that's gonna give you a power struggle. I'm saying, 
I see you're overwhelmed and we have to take a bath. If you choose to get in the bath, you choose to have an extra story. If you choose not to get in the bath, you choose not to have an extra story. You decide it's up to you. Um, and then more on that bath shower thing, part of what I would do with that as well is I would set up an expectation ahead of time because most of these kiddos do better if they know what's expected. And I've had some kids that get so offended by being told you got to get in the bath and in the shower. I have literally had kids, these are older kids, like fourth grade and up, that will make their own little to-do list just because they want to be in control of it. And we'll do better at getting that going. But for little kids, um, got to have as many choices as possible. Do you want me to brush your teeth or do you want to brush your teeth? Oh, if you choose to, to yell at mommy, you're choosing to brush your teeth. Not, you're choosing for mommy not to brush your teeth. You decide it's up to you. So it's all about appreciating what you have control over and then giving the decision to the child without being directive. Because as soon as we get directive, I'm taking this away, I'm taking that away. That's when the power struggle happens and they're always going to Everybody win. loses. <laughs> well, usually the child <laughs> wins the struggle. Sure. So there's a couple So of someone says, um, how, how do we validate an emotion without inviting more behavior to display that um, emotion? Basically, what, what if validation causes worsening of that behavior? So I, you know, I have never seen that happen. Um, and I think what I would do is if it causes worsening of behavior, I would just say to the child, I see that you're feeling really upset and you don't have to yell to get my attention. As a matter of fact, when you use that voice that you were using today, when you were playing with your sister and it was so kind and nice, you probably didn't realize this, but I was totally watching you. You totally had my attention. Kids are amazed whenever you point out to them when you have been attending to them, when they've been doing something positive and they didn't even realize that you were watching. So you literally just directly communicate to them. When you are making good choices, when you are being kind, you are getting my attention. That's the best way to get my attention. Oh, mornings, those are the worst time. <laughs> so we so, um we have a couple of yeah, yeah. you're gonna okay you're all address the mornings okay perfect okay. yeah so mornings the first thing is especially with kids with ADHD you have to do some basic things like you have to have a place where I don't care how crazy the day before was shoes are always in the same place no one goes to bed till the shoes are where they're supposed to be backpacks the long and short of it and um I think what you do is you just built in, build in a lot of choices. You know, if you choose to get in the car right now, you're choosing to sit where you want. If you choose not to, you're choosing for me to decide. Um, part of it, I mean, part of it is this, but part of it is so much the environment. You know, are you letting them watch TV before school? Are you... Are there a lot of distractions going on? Um, I've, you know, I've come to some families' houses and literally just done a boot camp on how do we get out of the door, you know? So it's really just practicing. And for these older kids, a lot of it is really, I mean, you can take a lot of things from sports psychology where it's visualizing, okay, I've got to do this, 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 this. I can't be laying on the couch anymore because, 
when I lay on the couch for a minute, it's never a minute. Um, and the other thing too, I think for some of these kids, they, they appreciate the conversation. Like, I don't like yelling at you. I don't like, you know, and if you choose to get ready and do what you, what you want to do, you know, then you're choosing to have a better morning with me. Um, you know, but it, it's so, it's so variable on the child. Like that particular strategy, I have taught to a mom of a seven-year-old boy with ADHD. And the reason it works for him is because what was happening was he was wanting her to dress him because she was dressing his little brother. And when he realized that he would actually get more attention from her and positive attention from her if he dressed himself, because that was his motivator, was for his mom to give him some more positive attention work like a charm. So part of it is really figuring out if you're going to use the choices method, what motivates your child? Is it getting to the car first? Is it um, getting some iPad time after school? Is it making you happy? I mean, those are all the things that you want to keep in mind with the choices, but also, like I said, the environmental piece, you know, having the clothes laid out in the morning, um, you know, having the shoes in the same place every night, making sure that the backpack is packed before they get to school, um, all of that. But yes, mornings are the worst and the hardest because there's that time crunch going on. One thing that I found that worked better at my house was actually, you know, like we think that the kids need their sleep, which they obviously do. So we did go to bed earlier. But I actually um, woke my child up earlier instead of kind of rushing out the door because I found that if we had a little bit more time, so maybe you wake them up 45 minutes earlier and maybe they take their meds if they take meds and 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 they kind of have this plan because they don't see next. So they need to be communicated next, like you were talking about the list. And, and so what I found is that worked. That was like a good solution for us as getting up earlier and kind of easing into the day instead of waking up with not that, you know, much time to spare. Um, and so they didn't feel as, as rushed. We've got a couple other things in the chat box here. Um, what about on these choices, any suggestions for a child who can't decide? They say, I don't know. And I also just um, wanted to mention that we have parents okay. on here that have adult kids and okay. minor children. So they're okay. kind of all across the board. Okay. So, so if I say to you, if you choose to stop hitting your sister, you're choosing to watch the movie with us. If you choose to keep hitting your sister, you choose not to watch the movie with us. They're probably going to decide, but you know what? Hey, there are kids that don't decide. One of my biggest challenges is getting kids to leave this play therapy room. So what I'll say is you have five minutes before time is up. I want 10 minutes. Oh, I guess you're choosing for me to decide. I'm going to choose. What do I say? I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll choose four. No, 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 I'll take five. It's okay. So basically what you do is you make the choice for them and you always take the, you take the less favorable choice and you'll, you'll be surprised how quick they decide. Um, yeah, I see you really want 10 more minutes and you can either have four or five. I can't decide. I want 10. I guess you're choosing for me to decide. I'll just, I'll, I'll choose four. No, 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 I'll take five. That's great. That's a, that's a great strategy. Um, do you have resources for adult children that don't live at home or suggestions for, for families um, such as that? 
adult children. Um, so I don't see a lot of adult children with ADHD in my practice, but um, I know that, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. How, how, how well, um, I can't think of his first name. He's a, um, a researcher at uh, Harvard. He does a lot of um, stuff on that. Um, and one of the interesting things that he has done is actually he's done research on exercise and ADHD symptoms. And he found that 34 minutes of exercise a day for some kids with ADHD, they didn't even need to take their meds. And he has a, um, you know, I'm going to have to give you, I don't have it off the top of my head, the name of his book. It's like a, it's like a small pamphlet. You buy it on Amazon. It's like $13. Um, and that can be used for anybody because it's just getting those endorphins going and getting the um, heart rate to a certain level to help decrease um, the symptoms. But the other things, of course, you know, for, oh, Dr. Hallowell, yes. Um, so the other thing that you know um, for adult children is part of what they need is structure and routines. And actually one of the things that I recommend sometimes not just for adult children, but for smaller children as well, is there are actually organizers that will come to your house that are trained in how to organize for ADD or ADHD and are, are trained to, you know, to organize, is it a child who gets overstimulated? So they need like minimal things and, you know, to put things in places that are convenient, that are going to be easy for them to find and to locate um, versus someone who's going to pay more attention and be more organized if things are like in bright colors and things like that. Um, but I think more than anything, it's helping them develop ways to set up reminders and also um, habits. The one that Allison mentioned earlier about getting up earlier, that's super important for adult children with ADHD, because oftentimes what's gonna happen is they're gonna get to where they need to go and they will have forgotten something. So you wanna just build in like that little cushion of extra time. Um, but if I find other resources or ideas, I'll be happy to share those with Allison um, as well. To share with you and all. also I just Sorry. wanted to mention that you guys can email us um, as well and ask for them. I know that we have some from different presenters in the past that, I myself have found helpful. And of course, if I'm thinking about them right now, I, they're not on the tip of my tongue, but we definitely have them and we can send those to you. Just um, send us an email and it'll be in the slides how uh, to contact us. Um, someone says, can you talk a little bit more about the association between fatigue and ADHD? My son is always so tired and doesn't have the stamina to get through the school day and exhibits a ton of resistance after 2 p.m. Yeah. So, I mean, it's gonna sound, you know, it's just, it's not, oh, by the way, the Hallowell's book is called Spark, um, the running book. Um, it's, you know, I mean, it's brain breaks. It really, that's, that's the long and short of it. Um, and depending on the age of the child, um, you know, some schools get really creative. You know, the traditional is to be able to walk around, take a lap around the school if that's permitted. Um, 
you know, the best is in elementary school, if they have, you know, you finished your work, you can go to the back of the room and do a coloring sheet, um, you know, on days that are really hard, even, you know, a learning specialist or a school counselor may, you know, allow the child to come in and just take a little break. But um, brain breaks are super helpful. Also, you know, tweaking the bedtime schedule if you need to, because um, I do find that sometimes even just pushing up the bedtime 15 minutes can make a big difference. Um, and then also adding in regular snacks can be helpful as well. Okay, one more question and then we'll um, be moving on. Could you speak to the immediacy and latency delay of delivery of reinforcement consequence? Um, oh, it has to be right away. <laughs> um, and you know, and of course that depends on the age, right? So like if you have a middle schooler or high schooler and you say, you know, if you choose not to do this, you're choosing for me to take your car keys. If you choose to do it, you're choosing to keep your car keys. You decide it's up to you and they're not using their car till tomorrow, then that works. But of course with little kids, it has to be like right away, you know? So that's why it's super helpful and super important to identify what it is that motivates them um, and is going to kind of get their attention um, because they can't, you know, if you tell them that they're not going to get something even the next day, it's not effective. Okay, so um, this is just what if you go through the three steps of validation, communicate the limit, and your child still doesn't, you know, kind of make the choice, um, then um, that's what I was saying earlier is what you do is you make the choice for them. So I see, I've laid out two shirts for you. I see you don't want either one. So I, I see so it looks like you're choosing for me to decide for you, I'll choose this one. And always pick the one they, that you know they don't like the most because they're more than happy to show you, no, no, I don't want that one. I want this one um, because really it, it is all about control. So that's really what that, that is. It's just the, the layout of the strategy I explained earlier with regards to um, kids that have a hard time making the choice. So um, can we talk, uh, I know that we've got your contact information and people can reach out um, to you directly. So can, what about um, like so some of that, and I might not say it properly, I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on TV, but uh, rejection sensitive dysphoria, like some of these, like some of our kids can't take constructive criticism and it's a real thing and I didn't even know it existed until the doctor told us. Um, so talk to us about what that is and how common that is with ADHD and, and how, how, how do we deal with that? Yeah, so it, I mean, I just happened to, I, it's summer, so didn't have a lot of kids that I saw today, only saw four kids today and of those four, um, the first one I saw has exactly that. So I think there's a couple things you do. I think it's super important when you're setting a limit 
especially with those kind of kiddos, is to keep your voice even toned because whether you're yelling or not, they hear you as yelling. And you have to be super explicit. And I don't care if you said it to them, you know, with these kiddos. I think, um, oh, I can't remember her name now. It's, it's on the top of my head. I'm sure I'll remember it after I tell you guys this. Oh, Shaywitz, Sally Shaywitz. She's an executive uh, functioning expert. What she says is um, with these kiddos, it takes about a thousand trials before it sticks. Um, so what you want to say is, I'm not mad at you. Not mad, not mad at you. I see you're really overwhelmed. Or you could start with, I'm mad, not mad at you. But so many kids ramp down immediately when you just say, I'm not mad at you. And of course, we're never going to be mad at the child. We might be disappointed in their choice or their behavior. And the other thing I, I recommend for parents to do is um, to make a big deal when they make a mistake or something doesn't go well for them, because it really helps children feel less vulnerable when they've done something wrong or when they've upset someone. But the conversation today, this was a um, fourth grader and his brother, and his brother was saying that, um, you know, when I ask you to stop bothering me and you keep doing it, it's really frustrating. And what I, cause I, I've worked with this family for a while. What I had explained to the older brother is that when you ask him to stop, he feels really badly. And when he feels really badly, what he tends to do is try to lash out. And when he does that, we know it just makes you feel more frustrated with him. So I turned to the fourth grader. I said, you know, I think what you could do is when he says, please stop bothering me, I want you to say to him, you know, when you tell me I'm doing something you don't like, it really hurts my feelings. And then that gives, and I, I mean, I know the brother, he's a seventh grader, he's a really sweet kid, so I trust him. I know he's going to say, well, I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to hurt your feelings. I just know I'll feel better being around you if you stop doing that. And I want to feel better being around you. And the child acknowledged like, yeah, I want him to feel good when he's around me. So I think it's part partially empowering the child to say, it hurts my feelings or I feel bad. And, you know, being able to tell the child, no, we all make mistakes. It's okay. You know, we're all learning. Um, and then also making sure to tell the child, I'm not mad at you. I'm disappointed in your choice, but I always love you. Actually, you know what? I have an amazing book. We love the book rec recommendations for sure. While she's grabbing that, um, rejection sensitive dysphoria, also known as RSD, is when you experience severe emotional pain because of a failure or feeling rejected. And it, again, it goes a lot with the ADHD. So, what is the name of that book? I'll put it in the chat box. It's for little kids. I love, uh, I love you when you're angry. Okay. I've I've seen. It's such a precious book for parents to read to children. I've seen parents and kids get emotional when they read that book um, because it's basically telling the child, no matter how hard our day is, I love you regardless. So I really, it's a really, really, really great book. Um, 
but yes. And then, you know, can I you give us I, some tips though? So for, for working through some of that rejection sensitive, I mean, I think it's understandable as parents, if our kids are a little bit different, their life is hard. They get made fun of at school. Yep. They're always feeling like they don't measure up, even if they don't get made fun of at school. Maybe their grades aren't as great as everybody else. Make, maybe they have processing speed delays. It takes them twice as long to do the same thing that their peers do. And so they're always feeling, they always feel less than. And, and, and that's not anything as a parent that we can help. But what I, what I can say as a parent is those earlier, younger feelings, like we're talking about, they manifest as they get older, um, like to the workplace, when you're on a job, when your child is on a job and the boss does what a boss does and they give constructive criticism. Maybe you did this incorrectly. They're not angry at your child. They're just simply saying, hey, this is the way we need this done. And the kid blows up and gets fired. I mean, we've had, you know, families that this has been an ongoing thing for. Like it's not um, the challenge, the struggle is real. So can you give us some like real, like, uh, additional, you know, tips on that, on how, how, do, how do we bring that down? Or how, if, if, if these kids have RSD, how, how do we help this? Well, I think first of all, you go back to that validation, right? Second of all, you go back to the modeling, um, with regards to perfection. Um, and third of all, I think it also goes back to what I mentioned earlier about growth mindset. Because what you want to help children learn is that to be successful in life, it doesn't mean you have to be the best. It just means you have to try your best. That's what growth mindset's about. Um, what researchers have found is that people who do the best in jobs and in higher education and whatever are not the people that are the smartest. It's the people that have the most grit and the most intuitiveness. So... Um, I think that's where you want to reinforce your child. Wow. Do you know, I noticed that you were having such a hard time making that basket and I saw you didn't give up. Well, and that's the other thing. You want to word it in such a way, and this is an important point. We, we do so much reinforcing our children, which is important, but when we do that, we don't give them the chance to develop esteem internally. So they kind of, are so reliant on what other people think and feel. So instead of saying, wow, that was a great basket, what you might say is, wow, that was, I saw that was really hard and you didn't give up and you finally got it. And then the child is able to step back and say, I did that, no, it's hard. I can't tell you how many times a simple thing in the playroom of just opening up a little Play-Doh can that's so hard for the child to do and I, I don't help them eventually they get it. And I don't say good job, like, oh, I am so strong. Did you see how I did that? So I think sometimes it's really helpful to point out to the child when they're being persistent, when they're doing something that may not be challenging for other kids, but who cares if it's challenging for them or it's challenging in general and they persist and they solve the problem. Wow, you didn't give up. That was, that was, not, that was not easy. I saw you were so tired tonight. And you just really didn't want to brush your teeth. And you just, wow, you just stuck through and you did that. So I think maybe Can we pull back on some of the, that was a great job and give them a chance to make the attribution themselves. Sure. Um, so can we talk a little bit more about the fatigue again? And, you know, sometimes the, uh, the, some of the meds that these kids take, 
um, cause them to stay up at night and they can't sleep. You know, we, you know, we have families that have kids on melatonin or other sleep aids or other things like that. So, and we, as parents, we feel the experience of being brain dead at the end of the day. Um, and they're coming home from school and they're feeling brain dead at the end of the day. Could you talk to us about like a best practice for homework or chores or whatever? Like, so they come in the snack, you know, do they, do you recommend a break of an hour or two? Obviously parents don't want to start in late with the homework because then there's tears and the homework doesn't get done. (laughs) Tell tell us what you think about homework and coming home from school when we've got this tired, hungry kid. Well, of course, they need a little bit of downtime. But what you want to do is you want to make sure the downtime is done in an area without too many interesting distractions. And what you also want to do is you want to set it up. So if you choose to sit down and do your homework, you're choosing to, you know, watch TV. If you choose not to, you're so, you know. A lot of kids, it's um, they, it's all different for all of them. You know, some for some of them, it's watching TV. For some of them, it's the video games. For some of them, it's going outside and playing, going to a friend's house. But I think if you set it up in that way of if you choose to do this, you choose to do this, and then I don't want to do this, I can't do this. Oh, looks like you're choosing not to go to your friend's house. Then they can kind of snap back too. But also, I think you know, there's little things that I'm sure all of you are already doing with starting with the subject they like best. Um, One thing that's super simple, but super helpful and effective, you don't wanna ever have the whole homework page showing. You wanna only cover up the problem that the child is doing. Um, I had worked with one little girl, um, a second grader who would get so overwhelmed, super good student, but she would see the whole math page and she froze. So at one point at the beginning, the teacher was literally cutting out single strips of math problems. And then we we started cutting them out two at a time, three at a time, four at a time. So um, help them break it down and help them get started because oftentimes what's happening is they're telling themselves something in their head. This is gonna take forever. So sit down and check the facts with them. When was the last time this took forever? Never. Um, you know, do the choices game. Do something to help them kind of refocus themselves. But if you wait too long, it just gets even harder because by that time, they're just so tired um, that it's just not even, I mean, you're not going to, you're going to be sitting there for, you know, two hours and getting like minimal output. So, um, and the other thing too is... I, I feel like meds change too. Like, so some people medicate, some people don't, and we're not here to, you know, say what's right or wrong or whatever. But what I found is that med changes were sometimes needed. And sometimes like with the fatigue, like maybe, you know, they're on a med that wears off by about two or three o'clock. And so they're coming down off that med and that's why they're so tired. And there are short acting afternoon boosters that get through homework. So it's just something to have a personal conversation with your psychiatrist about that um, and kind of what your experience and they can walk you through that. But what I would say is over the years, you know, from, you know, say five to 18, there was definitely changes 
you know, in their bodies, right? So what worked once when they were five might not work when they're 15. And so some of those, you know, things are, are, are worth at least having a conversation, you know, with a doctor about that because there, there are definitely the, the short acting boosters for the afternoon that um, I would say at our house, it was definitely helpful um, on the homework side of the house um, because if we didn't have that, it was, it was like pulling teeth. It was, it was tough. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the other thing too, I want to tell you all is that um, what we also know from the research is that um, the glucose metabolism, which is kind of like the energy for the brain, tends to become less efficient at a couple of points in the school year, right before Thanksgiving, right before Christmas break, right before spring break, and right in May. So. I tell you that so that you'll know that, okay, this is hard for all kids, ADHD or not. Um, they're really running on fumes at this point. So, you know, I'm going to be trying to be patient and understand with myself and also with my child. Um, because more than likely, there are probably also lots of kids sitting in the classroom just sort of bouncing off the walls because, you know, it's not natural for kids to be sitting for seven, eight hours a day um, without moving around and things like that. And then I'm sure you all know too, there are some kids that just do much better if they can dictate and they don't have to do, just taking out the writing component is a huge, huge stress reliever to kids um, because writing is the most cognitively complex task that we can do. Um, reading things to them, um, books on tape, all those kind of things are those things actually help quite a bit with fatigue because you're maximizing your resources. To have to write while thinking of what you're supposed to write and then your thoughts are going much faster than your hand, that's a lot of cognitive resources. So if you get, you know, talk to tech software or you dictate for your child or you read so they're not having to decode and comprehend, um, all those things are super helpful from a brain perspective for doing it. And you guys can get that like in a 504 or an IEP, those types of accommodation, the voice to text recognition software, Dragon Speak is one of them. Learning Ally is one where you can get the audio books. So those are two things that were very helpful um, for us. And those are things that they, I mean, sometimes they'll offer those, but you may have to ask for those. And especially, if we have a child that has working memory issues or processing speed delays or some of those other things, those can be really, really uh, relevant. Um, well, Dr. Tabin, I know we're about out of time. So where are you located? Are you accepting new patients? Who are your ideal patients um, for any families that are interested in uh, engaging your services? Can you tell oh, sure. us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'm in Houston. I'm not too far from the Galleria area. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to, you know, for those of you that don't live in this area, um, happy to help you connect to other providers. Um, I have a lot of colleagues um, and, you know, sometimes get calls from all parts of, you know, the country for different kinds of things. Um, I am accepting new patients right now um, for therapy and also for um, evaluations. Um, so, yes. 
And one thing that I want to say, and this is kind of just putting putting it out there, um, I worked um, with a counselor um, who was known for working with parents that um, kids were neurodiverse, right? And um, and I would say that I found that very helpful because you talked about being calm and you talked about monotone. You talked about, you talked about some tips as parents that, um, that we could, you know, use with our kids, but sometimes as parents, you know, they don't come with an instruction manual, but so, so, so working with somebody and it's not because you need therapy and that's not what I'm saying, but working with somebody that is nuanced and working um, with parents who have neurodiverse kids, Parenting these children is a totally different ball game than your neurotypical kids and neurotypical kids aren't easy. <laughs> and so um, I would just like to say just from one parent to another. And again, like I said, I'm just putting it out there. I think self-care is important. And, and, you know, your own feelings of anger or frustration or why do I have to sit with this child? Why is this child in sixth grade and I have to sit with them every minute when they're doing their homework? It, just like I did in kindergarten, right? There are frustrations and those frustrations are valid as well. But I just wanted to say that that was a wonderful experience and I didn't think that it would even be helpful and it was great. Well, and I also want to say, you know, hats off to all of you who are doing everything and anything that you can. Um, oh, maybe common monitoring to help them prepare for older adults as they age. I hear what you're saying. And also, I do think that when they're ramped up, at least starting them off, that could be helpful. Um, and I also think, you know, getting them used to hearing no can be really helpful too uh, with older adults as they age. But what I wanted to say at the very end is um, just, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Um, so much respect and admiration for you taking your time out to do everything and anything you can to support your child, because I know it's definitely not a sprint. It is definitely a marathon. And there are some days that I know are probably extremely difficult and overwhelming. So thank you so much for having me. And um, I look forward to any questions or comments um, that you want to send me after the webinar. Um, one last question. Um, do you ever evaluate or treat patients with intellectual delays, intellectual disability? Um, and she said her son has Down syndrome. Um, I don't evaluate, but I do uh, therapy, yes. And for any families that are interested in evaluations and testing, do you make referrals for that? Do you have recommendations for, I, for some of that around town? I do testing, but I don't test. Um, I only test um, certain things. Like I don't do testing for children on the spectrum. And I also don't do testing for children with an ID diagnosis. So, um, but everything else I, I, I test. Okay. So, but well, I'd be happy you. to connect. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you everyone for your questions tonight. You guys have been wonderful. Everyone's going to get a copy of her slides um, and a, a link to the recording. Thank you, Dr. Tabin, for being with us tonight. Um, it, yeah, this is a, a tough topic and um, really, really great questions tonight. And I, 
I really appreciate everybody spending their evening with us tonight. So look out for the email. Um, if you have any questions in the meantime, um, our contact information is going to be on the slides as well. Um, and I will do a search for the older kids. We do have some pretty decent resources out there. I just, I've got to pull them up. They're not just on top of mine uh, for some, some of the older kids. So just email us on that and, and we'll get it. So thanks so much. Take care, everyone. Good night. Securities and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.